Welcome to episode two of Screaming from the Sidelines. Crazy, crazy week going on over here. Last night, I was mulling over the idea of doing an episode powered by candlelight. There are rolling blackouts going over Northern California. And so the power was out in my home for a few hours. Temperatures are getting as high as 113 degrees. And on top of that, technology has decided to play a few games with me. So on top of all that, we had a lot of basketball, and that's why we're here. One team has advanced to the WNBA Finals, while the other series is headed to a Game 5. So I'm recording this a day after that Aces versus Storm game concluded, which turned out to be Sue Bird's final game of her 20-year decorated career and I have such a rush of energy from all of that. I'm still buzzing from those last two games. And I mean, really, since the last episode, there were two games in that series that were just plain unbelievable. We're going to get all into the WNBA playoffs, game five of the sun versus the sky. And now the Aces have secured their spot in the finals for the second time in three years. But first, let's talk about some NBA headlines. So the big one of the week is that the Cleveland Cavaliers traded Colin Sexton, Lowry Markkinen, another rookie, uh, three protected first round picks and a pair of pick swaps to the Utah Jazz in exchange for superstar Donovan Mitchell, who turned just 26 today, September 7th. Happy birthday, Donovan. We're going to be doing an over under wins special for an episode before the NBA season kicks off. And as we get a little closer to it, that's when we'll be talking about a lot of teams. Cleveland now will surely be in that discussion of some of the most fun and interesting teams to talk about and see what their win total is at. If people are estimating them a little high, or if people are still a little bit skeptical about this squad, now that Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are going to be a backcourt duo my initial reaction is that they absolutely can do damage if they stay healthy that's a big if because i do not believe that as presently constructed they will get past milwaukee or boston brooklyn could be in the finals but they also could be stuck in the play-in tournament again i feel that they're just too unpredictable uh this should be a surefire playoff team, though, for Cleveland after they got bounced in the play-in tournament this past season. It's just a matter of how high of a seed they can get. And speaking of Eastern Conference playoff teams, the 76ers are signing Montrez Harold to a two-year, $5.2 million deal. This is actually very interesting because Doc Rivers coached Harold in Los Angeles during his best season when he won sixth man of the year in the 2019-2020 NBA calendar. Uh, he averaged 18.5 points and seven rebounds off the bench. So this last year, Philly was 28th in bench scoring. I believe Chicago and Toronto were the two teams, uh, the only two that were worse than them in that regard. But this could provide a boost that they really need and take some of the burden off of Joel Embiid. Embiid arguably could have been an MVP last year was surely the second option behind the winner of that award, Nikola Jokic. But uh, like I said, we're going to do the over under win specials. And so Cleveland and Philadelphia will be two cities. We're talking about 
we'll go into some of those high value bets as well as the ones that you should probably stay away from and just hold on to your wallet a little bit tighter. Now, that being said, let's bring it back to the present because we have to appreciate what is right in front of us. And I want to talk about the Aces and Storm series first. So that series truly did feel like a WNBA Finals. I mean, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to talk about on this week's podcast, but then I watched Game 3 of Aces Storm this last weekend and just, oh my goodness. I mean, every time an answer was needed by somebody, it was there. Hardly any misses down the stretch. I feel like, sorry, I turned it on. Uh, I was following on the phone, but by the time I actually turned it on, it was about six minutes left in the third quarter. Brianna Stewart makes a beautiful backdoor cut. It's a tie game, and that erased what was a 15-point deficit for the Storm. And it seemed like from that point on, the amount of shots missed between both teams, you could count like on 10 fingers. Like I think it was within the single digits, and even if maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic, really probably not too much of a stretch with the way everyone was playing. Uh, Becky Hammond deserves a ton of love for the plays that she drew up off of those timeouts. And this is why I have to say that advancing the ball into the front court off a timeout in the last couple of minutes of the game should just be a rule across the game of basketball. I know that uh, women's NCAA does it now. The NBA has done it for a long time and the WNBA does it. I would love to see uh, men's NCAA and high school and just everywhere do it because it doesn't necessarily guarantee somebody getting a good shot off but it's a big difference between it's tense for both teams and whoever you're rooting for uh you know it makes people want to scream from the sidelines a little bit more and that really is just what the show is all about but when you inbound it from your own baseline yeah i i understand sometimes there's the miracle shot that's within the half court line and you could point out a lot of examples to me But more often than not, it's a Hail Mary type of play, especially on the college level. You don't have players that are just going to create their own shot under any sort of circumstance. So I love this rule of advancing the ball. They drew up a very quick three to Raquana Williams. Then they got the ball into Asia Wilson. And then with 1.8 left on the clock, they drew up a play to get Jackie Young a catch and shoot, which forced overtime and from that point on Jackie Young was just a different breed of basketball player in that series so I I feel so uh, Jimmy Fallon-esque when I'm talking about game three to everybody like everything was like it was so good it was so uh, um, unbelievable I mean who doesn't love basketball just back and forth back and forth but that is truly what it felt like and I was explaining it to people who followed the league. I was explaining it to people who very loosely followed. And then I was explaining this to people who didn't watch at all or have any sort of attachment to the WNBA. And every time I just felt the same level of enthusiasm. I mean, it truly felt March Madness-esque. It was a top 10 down the stretch sequence that I have probably seen in my lifetime. I mean, it's hard to imagine something much better. And when you take into account the fact that I didn't really have a dog in the fight there, I just, I mean, I didn't want anyone to lose. I just wanted more basketball. 
we got a little bit of free basketball thanks to Jackie Young, but I just remember feeling like whoever loses this game, I'm 100% rooting for in game four because I just want more. It felt unfair that we couldn't get a seven-game series out of that. It really did feel like the finals. And, uh, you know, that'll, that'll bring us to game four where the Aces took care of their business on the road again after losing that first game at home. They've won three straight. They've knocked off the Seattle Storm. Sue Bird, uh, her 20-year career has come to an end, and it is very sad to see her go because just one of the true all-time greats, surefire Hall of Famer. There is probably so much more I could say on Sue Bird, but I feel like it's all been said across social media and across basketball platforms anywhere. It was just a pleasure to be able to watch her and I was able to go see her in person. I saw game one of the Storm versus Mystics in Seattle when I was visiting up there. And uh, that arena was just an incredible atmosphere. I, probably the best across the entire league. And people always want to make the argument that attendance across the WNBA is nothing special. But uh, in Seattle, even though it wasn't, a fully packed house and I was able to get my tickets for a reasonable price. Everybody who was there was fully invested in the game and it got loud there in that fourth quarter. It was just neck and neck wire to wire and Seattle was able to pull out the victory at the very end. And I mean, I've been in some loud arenas before it certainly passed the test of my ears and my uh, sideline screaming. So if you ever have the chance to go check out climate pledge arena, up in Seattle to see either the Seattle Storm or the new hockey team, the Kraken, highly recommends putting that one on your sports list. If we're going to talk about some stats in this series, the Aces have two of the top three scorers in the postseason. That's Chelsea Gray, who we're going to talk all about. And then behind her, you have the official MVP of this season, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray is scoring 24 points per game in these playoffs, which is second only to Brianna Stewart, who dropped 40 last night in a must-win game for her team. Chelsea Gray is also tied for first in assists with Sue Bird, and she's, to nobody's surprise, first in three points made for contest in this postseason. So I want to circle back to a stat I used in last week's episode, which was talking about the Seattle storm and how they had the highest free throw percentage in the regular season and free throws do win games. It's just that it turned out to be the other way around in this series. So the storm, they had the top regular season free throw percentage, but the end of game three, Tina Charles missed a pair of important ones and the storm were shooting a little worse than they had in the regular season. They were still 79.6%. So Nothing too bad, but it was the Aces who cranked it up to a new level, making seven out of every eight at 87%. And that's really what I think did Seattle in. It's part of it for sure, because uh, when you're playing a team like the Aces, you can afford little to go wrong with how powerful they are and how many different players can just can just score 20 on any given night. I mean, let's be honest about it. They... Uh, it's not just Asia Wilson. It's not just Kelsey Plum and it's not just Chelsea Gray. They have a whole 
staff of players that are ready to go. And it doesn't matter if they're at home on the road, they were ready to play. But Brianna Stewart, although her team lost and the season ended, she deserves a lot of love. Her 26 points in the first half yesterday set a WNBA playoff record, passing Angel McCautry's 24 points back in the 2011 postseason. She finished with 40 on the night. The Storm were down by as many as eight, and they came back to take the lead there in the fourth quarter. But, I mean, Chelsea Gray just, she was just sending a wave through Twitter and did not miss. It was just unbelievable to watch her do it two games in a row. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, her teammate is about to win league MVP, and she might win finals MVP because there's like, what are you going to do? It's not like she was getting left open all the time. She's making these crazy tough contested shots. And after the game in her interview, she's talking about how she worked so hard in this offseason. She got tougher, stronger and meaner. And I'm like, maybe being mean isn't such a bad thing. If it can give you Chelsea gray, like superpowers because she was shooting it like, Steph Curry or like we've seen Damian Lillard or Kevin Durant or even LeBron James shoot the way he does in the clutch like just the way you can just have such a cold soul and take over a game like that I mean and everybody's rooting for Seattle because they want another game in the series and they don't want it to end for Sue Bird right there and Chelsea Gray just sucked the life out of the arena so to do that is one thing but to do it in an environment like that at climate pledge. I mean, it just makes the whole performance even more special. So congratulations to Sue bird on everything she has accomplished and uh, will always be such an influential part of the game of basketball, not just women's basketball, but basketball. That's how big and important and what a winner Sue bird is to the sport. So the Las Vegas Aces are going to the finals. It's their second time in three years, and they're looking for that crown and championship. The team that will meet the Aces is either going to be the Chicago Sky or the Connecticut Sun, because this one is headed into a game five in Chicago on Thursday. Series was 1-1. And I want to back it up all the way to game three because I felt like that was a really crucial time for the Sun. They were able to steal one on the road and now they come back home and they have a chance to go up two to one. And I feel like the Sun completely beat themselves in game three and made for a huge uphill climb that whether or not they recover from, it is to be determined. They had 17 turnovers. John Quall Jones has been hot and cold all postseason. They're only making 74% of their free throws, so it's serviceable, but nothing special and probably not a championship-like statistic. I do love what they did in Game 1, but you know Chicago is going to respond hard. And I'm concerned, most of all, that the Sky just beat the Sun at their own game, which was winning ugly. And I'm not saying that the Sun have an ugly play style, but ugly games favor a team more like Connecticut, where 
things might not be going their way and they're just going to decide hey, you know what, let's just bully you on the glass and get extra possessions and get extra shots in the paint because we need to find ways to score somehow. And so we're going to outwork you. We're going to outwork our way to points. And they were held to just one bucket in the final four minutes. Chicago took care of their business and took a 2-1 lead. Connecticut was just 30% in the paint in the first half and finished not much better, uh, in fact, even worse, at 27%. 18 of 48, uh, only 36 of their 72 points. So half of them came inside the paint. That is not at all their identity. Kurt Miller does keep it real with his team. He called them out about the team's missed layups in a huddle. He said, can anybody tell me how to make a layup, any pro basketball player? And the real concern here is that they were also plus 11 on the rebounds and Chicago only shot six of 25 from three. So I'm not here to hate on the Connecticut sun, but for a team built on grit and attacking the glass and the paint, I mean, we're going to have to see an all out effort twice more. We saw it once we're going to need to see it a second time. And that doesn't guarantee victory by any means. Let's talk about Chicago before we move into game four. And when I say that that other series between the Aces and Storm felt like a finals, I'm not discounting the sky or saying that they're automatically going to lose to the Aces if they get to the finals, because every time they have been punched in the mouth, they fire one right back at their opponent that's even harder and stronger and crueler. And, you know, but with Chicago, they need to live and die by the rebounds. And if you're playing the aces, which you will, if you can win on Thursday, you better find a way to put up some points. And I'm looking at Quigley. I'm looking at Vandersloot. I'm looking at Miesman and finals MVP, Kalia Copper. They all need to match the fire of gray, young plum, Wilson, Quanah Williams, sometimes Stokes is getting in there. And the thing with the aces is that, they can afford easily two of those players I just listed not having an awesome game. Two of those players cannot show up to their best ability that night and they can still be okay because that's how good some of these other players are to be able to pick up slack. And just because the scoring's not coming, well, you know the defense is going to be there for somebody like Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson, even Kelsey Plum. She's got pretty good skills going on at defense and has improved a ton in that regard. So uh, game four, the sun were able to stave off elimination. They led by as many as 27 points. The Kurt Miller effect did appear to work on them. Five players were in double figures. Courtney Williams showed up. She had 19. Dewana Bonner. It seems like she's constantly climbing up the list of all these milestones. I think she just passed somebody on scoring. Now she's top five and, all-time postseason steals, but I don't believe the Sun are going to be scorching hot like that again. And yes, pun intended. So as we look ahead to game five, the Sun are going into Chicago. And right now the spread is listed at Chicago minus four. And sometimes before spreads come out, like they did last night, I like to think to myself, okay, what, would I be advising a bet if the spread is such and such? Because it gives me a chance to think about it before I'm influenced 
by the numbers that I see. And right now, this is where I stand. I feel good about betting Chicago on the money line. I do think if I had to pick a winner, it would be the home team and the defending champs. And they have yet to prove me wrong when it comes to responding to a tough loss. That being said, I had originally listed down in my notes. If the spread was anything larger than three and a half in favor of Chicago, I might take Connecticut. And here's why. I think you're going to get two versions of Connecticut. You're going to get one of two versions. The first one is they look sluggish. They look lost. They're out of sorts and they can't make anything as was the case in game three. And Chicago steps on them. They run away with it. They don't want to play with their food. They get an early lead and they never look back. I think the second scenario and truthfully the more likely one because it's a winner take all and there's nothing left to lose is that you get a Connecticut team that no matter how things are going, it gets really gritty down the stretch and it's tight and it's close. And if they have a lead going into the fourth quarter, I think Chicago finds a way to punch them back and maybe even regain the lead. And I think if Chicago has a slight lead going into the fourth quarter, I could see Connecticut finding a way to stay close by just dominating what they can on the glass and getting it into their trusted leaders like Dewana Bonner, who is just so fantastic and fearless and a tremendous basketball player. I could see this coming down to the final possession. And this is why I like the Connecticut bet. If we're going to talk about the spread, if you make me pick a winner, I'm taking Chicago. If you're making me predict how this game's going, I like a winner take all game right down to the final possession. And therefore I think four points might be a little bit too much. If you disagree with me, go ahead and bet Chicago against the spread. I want you to agree with my reasoning. If you're going to agree with my bet, And if you disagree with that, I hope this can guide you make a different pick. Um, Let's talk about over under, which is right now at check the notes. The over under is at 159 and a half for combined points. So I like the under given the style of play that we have seen lately. Connecticut probably won't be as hot as they were in game four, and they probably won't be as ugly as they were in game three. You're very, very good chance we're going to get something in between for the sun. I don't see them putting up 104 points, especially going into Chicago like that. And Chicago, well, their game isn't blowing teams out with offense. And yeah, they can score a lot, but I don't think that's what they necessarily need to do to go and send the sun packing so i found that when numbers get pushed in one direction it's almost like the house is trying to encourage a particular bet and in this case it's the over but given the way both teams have played i expect a gritty tough defensive battle to finish the series and possibly we're going to see a little bit of elimination game nerves i know chicago's been through this before I know the Sun are a perennially good team, but we have seen some inconsistencies from both, and I think that's fair to say. So my instinct is telling me to bet the under despite 159.5 not being a very large mark. So I'll post these bets to my Twitter. 
and you can follow me at Grego Silver. That's G-R-E-G-O-H-S-I-L-V-E-R. And Chicago Sky, sideline screamers, get ready for a winner-take-all game in your own house because I will be watching, and I can guarantee that I'll be screaming from afar. The Las Vegas Aces will be screaming from afar as they await the winner. As we get toward the end of this episode, I do just want to just really celebrate the growth of women's basketball. So I found on Twitter this interesting stat, which is the 2022 WNBA regular season ratings average was 372,000 viewers. Uh, 2021 MLS regular season average was 276,000 viewers. But when we're going to look at the rights deal for TV, the MLS signed off for almost 10 times what the WNBA did. It was $250 million per season in the MLS and $27 million per season in the WNBA. And now I want to be very clear that this is not me ragging on the MLS and I'm not even calling it an equal comparison. I'm strictly looking at the WNBA. And I think what we're starting to see is that when it's readily accessible for people, they will watch it. And one of the most rewarding parts of this journey and starting up with believe and being able to do this podcast has been so far is that like my parents, I'm going to shout them out because I know they're going to listen to this episode and I love them very much. And I was in the house last night and I turn on this game because it's ESPN too. So you're able to turn it on TV. We have the channel and my mom who most certainly would not have watched this game on her own. If it wasn't for me, uh, was kind of passively watching the whole second half as the storm and aces were getting into it. And then my dad who may have followed this one on Twitter, but he's a busy person and they're both really busy with everything they have going on that I don't think he would have set time aside to go watch this game, but he ended up sitting on the couch with me and commenting on Chelsea gray and how he remembers when she was a recruit and ended up going to Duke and uh, her cousin played at Berkeley. So that's how he first knew about her. And then all of a sudden he's getting into a lot of these players and asking questions about Asia Wilson and just that's just one example of the type of fan that can get into basketball when it's exposed to people. So uh, making it easily accessible, I think is great for the league. I am so happy that that game three between the aces and storm was televised on ABC because the national network game lived up to everything you could have asked for and more. And game four was in pretty similar territory as well for how good it was and the intensity of competition and that level of competition is another point I want to make on why I would love to see the league expand beyond 12 teams because records continue to get broken in this postseason. I mean, you had history being made as well. Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson were the first pair of opponents in a playoff game to go for at least 30 points, five rebounds and three blocks. So that's, the two leading candidates for MVP, we found out that Asia Wilson won the award, just competing at the highest possible level that they can. How is that not must-see TV? I mean, everyone wants to see when it's LeBron James and Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, Giannis versus KD. 
So just a marquee matchup led up to everything that someone could have asked for. And look, there are markets that I think could be great. I think the Bay Area would be my first choice of the next WNBA team. I could see a team going into Florida, for example. You could look at Portland. You could look at a lot of places on the East Coast. Teams like uh, maybe like North Carolina, big basketball state, Indiana. They already have a team. So the level of competition has gone up. And it's not just in the WNBA. You're starting to see this in college. And there are more upsets happening in the NCAA March Madness Tournament and the women's bracket. Even if it's not in the championship game or the Final Four, you're starting to see teams like, for example, 10-seed Creighton made a push to the Elite Eight. Uh, when Kelsey Plum was at Washington, I think they were a 7-seed. I probably should go fact-check myself but that sounds about right they got all the way to the final four and so upsets are happening a little bit more um i decided that i was going to get more into the league this year when amy atwell out of the university of hawaii got drafted to the sparks because i spent the last two years covering sports at uc santa barbara in the big west conference very heavily Amy Atwell was the best player in the conference this year and had a great game against number two seed Baylor when they made it into the tournament and she ended up getting drafted. So to see a player that I covered and just players that I knew of and they knew the type of players that I were talking to regularly, that meant a lot. And it was really a big deal for not just Amy Atwell and the University of Hawaii, but really mid-major conferences all around that somebody could get an opportunity. And I think with maybe 16 and 10 of 12 teams, you're going to provide a lot of chances for players who have a chance to really develop into pros. You will provide them an opportunity to go be just that and hang around the league and maybe diversify the pool of players that we're trying to see. So uh, I've always been a big fan of women's sports. I think it helps when you have, an older sister who is just extremely tough and competitive and you get to watch her play sports at a young age and not just see how gritty she was as an athlete, but everybody she surrounded herself with. So to plant that idea in your head at a very young age, that women's sports are not what some people might tell you they are, even if there's less dunking going on in the WNBA. Uh, I've been super pleasantly surprised and I'm very thankful that I started to follow the league a little bit more closely this year. And I'm really thankful that I've gotten some of the people closest to me to follow the league a little bit more. So I'd like to end on that note of positivity. We will be back next week. We made it to the end of episode two. We did this despite the craziness going on. And by the next time that I am talking to you through this screen or through this microphone, however you may be listening we're going to have a WNBA finals matchup. So in the meantime, please like, subscribe, share, find me on Twitter, rate this podcast, send it to your friends and family, anyone you know who likes basketball or is a total screamer. I'm already so excited about how episode one went, and I'm looking forward to expanding this audience even further. Right now, save your voices because the finals are coming, and I, for one, will be screaming 
from afar. But in the meantime, just enjoy our new outro music and we'll be back more next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.